Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today, I appreciate you tuning in for our season premiere of our sixth year as a show. I've got one of my all-time favorite drummers, Sean Sellers from Good Riddance. Uh, We're going to talk about his projects, of course, with Good Riddance, with Downcast, 10-Foot Pole, The Real McKenzies, working with Bill Stevenson, Ryan Green, Cameron Webb, you name it. This is a great talk with Sean Sellers. What's up, dude? How's your day going? Oh, you know, just getting started. I'm a pretty late at night in the studio person, so, (laughs) you know. Anyway, nice to meet you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Been a a longtime fan of yours, and I've kind of been on a a break from the show, so you'll be the first episode of the the sixth year of the show. You know, you have a very specific style in my mind you know i i've always been the guitar player singer guy in bands but it's the drumming that draws me in you know it's it's the energy whether it's chad smith playing a simple groove or somebody going ape shit on the you know there's right. just, there's nothing better to me than that fast hardcore punk beat and nobody does it better i mean i think a lot of times that sound gets attributed like to eric sandin from no effects to be honest with you none of us can play that beat as good as that guy <laughs> it's like an engine cooking along when he plays it you know dude it's gnarly it is literally it's so perfect every time he does it it's kind of disturbing <laughs> like for the rest of us like we got to put a lot of work into that beat to make it sound right the yeah way eric does it and I'm like, dude, this is like a lot of work. <laughs> and then you like watch Eric dude, and you're like, really, Dick? Because like you don't even seem like you're trying. Yeah, but it's super funny because uh, when Bill Stevenson first recorded No Effects, he told me that he called Ryan Green and was like, "Hey, dude, it's kind of question. Like, you know, it's kind of the No Effects sound. Like, this was before he tracked him. And he was like, "How do you get that kick drum sound? Like, yeah. I'm just curious. Like, that's a super thing." And Ryan was like, "Uh." You figure it out. Yeah. And Bill's like, oh, okay, that was kind of weird. Gets Eric set up, starts recording. He was like, oh, it's so the that's guy. how you get that sound. <laughs> yeah. You get that guy to play it. It's... And then it just sounds like that. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, you got like funny. every other drummer using plastic beaters and Danmar kick pads and all this shit trying to figure it out. It's just the player. It's the player, and there's a lot of people make that first kick note louder than the second. And yes. That's usually where everything goes to shit. Yeah, and that's why so many people wind up just using triggers and stuff in the studio, because if you've yeah. ever produced a punk record or recorded your punk band, you know it's always the bop, but a bop, but a bop, but a on the kick drum. Like, yeah. The full energy and then the half energy when I got to do two notes. I spent a lot of time working on my consistency. Yeah. Years and years. And a big, massive, massive help with that was playing with in-ears. Really? Like 2001, I started playing in a band called Kidney Thieves. Everything was on the click track. I actually had electronic drums and my acoustic drums. And I was on ears. And let me tell you, you put yourself on any ears to a click, you quickly find out how not good you are. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, wow. So, like, I hear every 
tiny mistake, I'm like, oh, this is going to kill me. Because you really can hear the difference in hits. You can really hear your inconsistencies. And yeah. It starts to drive you a little mental. You're like, well, I don't want it to sound like that. I want it to sound perfect, you know? Yeah. So just through years and years of doing that and, you know, we fast forward up to now, you know, I'm in a band, Bisto Blanco, with Alice Cooper's daughter and Alice Cooper's bass player for the last 18 years is our other singer. And I'm on in-ears and I'm on a click and... It's so good, to be honest with you. It, like, I, I see all the the benefits of it when I go into the studio. Yeah, and producers are stoked. They're like, "Oh, I love how consistent oh, yeah. you are." Or, or sound man, like, dude, you're super easy to mix. Oh yeah, he was like, "Yeah, thanks for hitting everything the same." I was <laughs> like, oh, cool. All right. Well, yeah, and that, that was kind of uh, what, what I was getting at is that you have a rare combination of, of speed, power, and consistency. Because usually you can have two of those things. But with the speed, yeah. like you said, it's either inconsistent as hell or people aren't playing as hard. You know, it's like, like when you watch Bud Goff from Sublime and he's got his hand over his head to hit that snare to get that power you're playing so fast, you don't have that kind of recoil to do that, and yet it has that power and more. It's basically like a one-inch punch. Yeah. So when my arm is up here doing this, I'm not hitting any harder than when I'm... Just with the wrist, yeah. At that point, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter how hard you hit the drum. There's only a point that that drum can handle that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then you just choke it, and it's like, oh, well, that's. And I choke the drums all the time. <laughs> Ryan Green has yelled at me, yelled at me, dude. Oh, sorry. Record. <laughs> Seriously? <sighs> okay. Okay. Dude, I get it. You're super excited. Hit the toms. Would you just hit them like that? <laughs> He was like, I know you're tiny, dude, but when you go, yeah. he was like, the drum started to sing, and then it just went, and all the tone went away. So ironically, you can make a drum louder by not hitting it as hard Yeah, if you're hitting it right, because now it's getting to like open up and, and really sing. But like on that snare, it's, just, it's a one-inch punch. Like watch Bill Stevenson. The yeah. dude's gnarly. And he's like, right here. Just the wrist. Uh, That's great, though, man. I, I mean, I've recorded guys like that who it's like, hey, can you track a couple punk songs with me? And he's like a death metal drummer, right? And he comes in, and it's just remarkably consistent because he's so used to doing these gravity rolls and blast beats and these things that you just have to be so spot on. versus most punk drummers will come in here and just be all over the place. It it really makes a huge difference. And and to me, even as a kid, before I knew anything about recording, there's just a certain magical sound when a snare hits that compressor just right that I've always just kind of been in love with, you know. And and I, I just remember hearing ballads for the first time, you know, Fertile Fields opening, with pretty much just the drums, and everyone else is just kind of ringing out, and you're doing those just little ride bell accent, little hi-hat accent, but you're just playing the kick and the snare, and it is just music to my ears, man. Yeah, it's actually kick, snare, floor tom. Oh, okay. Yeah. My 
top five favorite drummers yeah. would be John Bonham, yeah. Stuart Copeland, yeah. Dave Grohl, Josh Freeze. Yeah. But Dave, Bonham, Copeland, if signature drum beats. Yeah. Obviously, Alex Van Halen and Neil Peart, yep. for sure. You bang out some of that shit, you know, it, there's no, you know what song it is. Yeah. There's no two ways around it. And I'd read interviews, before, like, when I was younger about that and also about, like, playing the same thing live. Like, dude, the guitar player's playing that riff, like... He didn't change the main riff of the song because we're live, you yeah. know? Like, so the same applies for drums. And so I'd always, like, first and foremost, when I'm writing drum parts, and it's always, is there a place and a possibility to write something signature? Yeah. That has to be played. And also, if you take all the music away, you know what song that is. Totally. Fertile fields. If I just did do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, in the beginning, mm-hmm. that could be any punk song that starts out with fast drums. Yeah. But you throw in that hi-hat bell, now there's a melody. Yeah. And now, nobody else can do that. Because if you start doing that, you're like, oh, that's fertile fields, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. What are you doing, dude? You're fully ripping off fertile fields right now. Can You, you can't do that. It's like uh, uh, Byron from Pennywise will have... He has kind of that signature Tom Snare fill that he does. You know, like, people have their identifiable licks. Dude, we call that the Byron. Really? (laughs) In our circle, dude, from Bill Stevenson, Eric Sandin, me, like, all the drummers, drum techs, like, we call that the Byron. Even Good Riddance, at times when we're writing, like, Chuck will be like, hey, dude, do a Byron right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Bill will tell it like all the time. We tell it to Byron too, and he knows. He knows exactly what Phil. It's like, yeah, dude, that's the Byron. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that's kind of an in joke because I mean I've definitely heard Sandin do it before. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to um, the the catalog, the body of work. Obviously, you you know you joined Good Riddance um, as I believe the second drummer for. Modern Rebellion album. Um, did you play yeah. prior to that in other bands? Yeah, real small bands. My very first like real band. We actually just did a record last year or two years ago now, I guess. An old hardcore band called Downcast. Okay. You find them on iTunes. I'm on the clearly the most recent record, but I was about 17 when I got in that band. I've been playing drums for year and a half maybe oh wow terrible yeah terrible and i go back and listen to that first record and i'm like holy crap this drummer chris is phenomenal yeah the the record is maybe 1991 and like ironically like i went back and listened i'm like dude that's totally what i would have played if i was presented with these songs now oh nice and i'm like okay now i kind of see where some of my own influence comes from so I was in them, and I was supposed to go to University of Laverne with a full cross-country scholarship or go to Europe with Downcast. Mm. Yeah. That was a tough choice. But we ended up breaking up in Europe. That was in 92. And then just put together little bands in Santa Barbara because all I wanted to do was figure out a way to get back on tour. You know, I was barely 21 
when I kind of auditioned slash joined Good Riddance. I was in a like a new wave slash kind of ska band in Santa Barbara called Sparker. Uh-huh. And we were this like weird, like a phenomenon in this town. <laughs> Within like six months, we were pulling three, four hundred kids to our shows. Wow. Like, dude, what? We played one of the the high school proms. Really? We were that popular that we got asked to play one of the high school proms. Because like 150 kids from that high school all came to our shows and they actually got us to play. That's funny. I, my band played my own, what was it? Eighth grade graduation because all, all of all of us would just throw our own little shows and so we wound up playing that. But uh, I can't say that I played someone else's graduation. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. And then, ironically, that band was a major influence and one of the major influences that started the Mad Caddies. Oh, really? Like three of the original members were in the audience at this festival we played in santa barbara and the crowd just went crazy we literally got shut down after like 15 minutes we were like a new wave band like we weren't even like a punk band or anything yeah and carter chuck and maybe either keith or sasha they were all in the crowd and they were like we got to do a band like that that's We've great to do a band like that and they're all still buzz they told me that i was like no way really but ironically, because Santa Barbara, I became good friends with Lagwagon in you know early early nineties. Yeah, maybe right when Trash came out. Okay. And Derek, the drummer, seriously became my best friend, and literally every day for probably about two years. Unless he was on tour or I got lucky and happened to be, we would hang out every single day. Wow. Skateboard, come to my house. We would just play drums for like two, three hours. Rad. I had like four bands in town. Didn't matter. Just got to play six, seven days a week. It was me and Derek. And Derek was really, I mean, a good friend of ours in town who actually kind of was a mentor slash drum mentor for both Derek and I, a good friend of ours named Jonathan Gorman. Derek really, I mean, he, Bomber from RKL showed him, and then Derek showed me. And Derek was like, all right, dude, once I found out about Good Riddance, and it was because Sparker was opening for Lagwagon, AFI and Good Riddance in Sacramento, Joey Cape goes, hey, dude, Good Riddance needs a drummer. And I was like, ripping. <laughs> they were touring all summer. Chuck and I had kind of known each other a little bit back in in high school at time. When I found that out, Derek was like, "All right, here we go, dude." There's basically three punk beats. Yeah, and I was like, "All right." He goes, "Punk rock polka, doopa 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 doopa." Yeah, the the Bill Stevenson, as I call it. Yeah, and he goes, and there's the banana do da la do da la do da banana 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 and I'm like <laughs> I've never oh, heard a name for that that's great that's super funny and then the next one he was like which later has been coined butt fuck titty fuck and it's I'm like he was like that's it and he was like now we just play with them yeah and you can put them anywhere and every single day I was like 
Oh, dude, that's super messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and Derek was a massive Neil Peart fan. Like, uh, Rifle, mm-hmm. the Lagwagon song. Yeah. So Derek wrote that. It's actually a Rush song. Oh, really? That drum beat, I want to say it, it's either on Hemispheres or 2112, but it's it's a drum line from Neil Peart, but he does it on the hi-hat. That's great. And when Derek showed me that, I was like, dude, that is so sick. And then he was like, hey, check this out. And then he put Rush on. He was like, it's just that. And I'm like, <laughs> it's just that, but like way cooler. I love that I mean, stuff, though, bringing little elements of your other influences and using them in different ways, you know, like, yeah. especially the longer you do this and the more records you've made, it becomes fun to sneak little things like that in there. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm the guitar player, but I'll do little stuff like that. Like, these are the chords from Creeping Death, but it sounds nothing like that at all. It's, you know, yeah. completely different rearrangement, tempo, everything else. But it's just also a little wink for your own amusement, you know. Dude, I have snuck in more good written songs. Yeah. In other bands <laughs> and on other bands' records. There's for sure in Visto Blanco, there's a song that both the bridge and most of the verse is just a good written song. <laughs> They're probably going it's, like, wow, we got signature Sean today. This is great. <laughs> it, yeah, they have no idea, but then the other bands don't either. Like where, you know, maybe the fill might change. Like I might be able to change a fill, but I'm like, there's literally, there's a Mackenzie song, white knuckle ride. And 90 per, like, I believe that song I tracked by myself. Yeah. I just put the click on and I already knew what I was doing. Yeah. But I literally had just, we had just finished maybe recording My Republic. And I'd say there's a decent amount of that song that's Darkest Days. Really? Yeah, that I was like, oh shit, this totally works. <laughs> and I'm like, rad. Like, nobody's going to know because it's just a beat. Yeah. But like, there were, there's like little things that I had learned from Bill, like tracking that song that I'm like, I can totally just literally almost play this entire song in this song. That's I was great. Like, mm, killer. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I love that little shit, man. Um, yeah. So when you did that, that first record with good riddance and, and Ryan and everything, I mean, what was your experience at that time? Sounds like you, hung out with the lag wagon guys, you knew people, but before that you kind of had limited experience on the road or smaller bands. And then you guys are kind of really, really doing it, you know, cranking out records, hitting the road. Yeah. I had recorded a bunch before, but I'd never recorded with like a real producer. Yeah. And it's something that I still kind of explain to people now or, or people that I play with where I'm like, you ever work with like a real producer? And they're like, <laughs> well, yeah, I worked with this guy. And I was like, yeah, okay. Did he like rewrite your parts and literally look at you in the face and go, wow, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. And we're going to go ahead and rewrite that. <laughs> and they were like, uh, no. And I'm like, okay, so then you, that's a no. <laughs> and neither had I. And you'd be surprised even when downcast when we had gotten together again you know 25 years later like hey we want to do another record and i'm like cool i don't want to go to a knob turner 
And that's what I call it. Yeah. Because there's a difference. Yeah. There's a dude that turns knobs, and then there's a guy that's going to go, dude, what are you doing? And you're also not in tune. There's you're an engineer and a producer, for Do sure. Do not hear that? So I actually got them to go to Ryan Green with me, and they were like, oh, gosh. I'm like, yeah, it's gnarly. It's super <laughs> gnarly when your producer goes, hey, can you tighten the lug closest to your left leg? It totally is out of black and out of tune. And also, can you tune your rack, Tom? And I can show you the exact moment where they both went out of tune and where that lug fell out yeah and i'm like huh really dude (laughs) oh shit you're right okay that immediately changes you so just a new level of awareness and like you were saying about playing with the in-ears onto the click you become more aware of what you're doing wrong i mean what you're doing right as well but also those little things that you can do to tighten it up and especially like okay so for chuck uncomprehensive like he got beaten up a little bit by ryan really and so and chuck was like well that's never gonna happen again yeah so going into ballads as we were writing i've gotten my you know i've written out a lot of my stuff and he was like okay what are you doing (laughs) how are you picking that like now all of a sudden because i don't ever want to get beat up like that again so yeah solve that problem right now there's something that bands in a room literally can't hear the bass player might sound great next to the guitar player but if you can't hear the kick pattern and you don't know you're out of sync then you're not going to know that until you're actually recording the song and and that's why i love pre-production honestly i think every record needs to get demos so you can listen to it and go oh that's a bad idea (laughs) yeah i I love playing with chuck because he always and he's well aware of like, okay, Sean moves around a lot. Yeah. Okay. What are you doing back there? What's your kick pattern for the verse? And I'm like, which one? Yeah. Because it kind of changes. Crap. Okay. Let's do this, and I'll and I'll work through. We'll work through it together. He's like ripping. Awesome. Okay. Exactly like you said. Yeah, you're you're going, but all of a sudden it's like, oh wait. This isn't working. We didn't know. We can't hear the kick. Yeah, it's almost imperceptible in the room. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, you're so focused either on yourself or just, like, the feeling. Yeah. It it zips by. So, yeah, I love pre-production. But also, like, not being afraid to sit down with each other and work through each. Like, hey, we're going in, you know, Bill Stevenson, Cameron Webb, Ryan Green, like, do you want to be bummed when you get in there? And they're just like, fucking, <laughs> you guys suck. Like, yeah. really? It's like, that's no fun. Especially when you've rehearsed the shit wrong a million times now, you know, and yeah. you have to change it and unlearn all that muscle memory, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had Ryan as a guest on the show a couple years back, and he talked about those early records particularly being really low budget and just burning through as many songs as possible, mixing them in a day or two. We had more time with Comprehensive because oh, really? uh, Forgotten Country sold so well. Oh, good, good. So always the first record with the band, Mike was like, we're going to bang this out. It's a punk band. Yeah. Bang it out. Make it sound good. Now let's see what happens. Do you guys work? 
did you guys get bigger? Did you sell a bunch of records? Yeah. Holy shit, you sold a bunch of records. Let's take more time on this next record. So, like, from comprehensive on, our records started taking between three and four weeks. Yeah. But it wasn't just ours. I mean, it was everybody. Prof Gandhi, everybody on their first record with Fat at that time, because they were still young, too, so they didn't have the budget. So it's like, dude, we got to get this out. Yeah. But like I said, once sold 80,000, 100,000 records <laughs> and you're a punk band, like, yeah, let's take a little bit more time because that happened, you know, which was insane. It's yeah, totally that's, insane. that's nuts. None of us were on the radio. None of us were, we were just touring. Yeah, that's wild, man. Especially not something that happens much anymore with new bands. No. So hard. I want to get to Operation Phoenix. That was a big record for me. I had just been playing in my first band a little bit when I got to see uh, my first live punk show was Less Than Jake, Good Riddance, All, and Limp here at the yeah. Wow Hall in Eugene. And um, that was just such a, an amazing show between you guys and the first rise against and ensign and yeah. maybe a little like shut your mouth from afi i was just kind of being exposed to hardcore melodic hardcore man that record had such a unique sound i had never heard a blasting room record before either and um yeah it just so many ways became a, a real formative time for me um now russ had mentioned that it was you who recommended bill as a producer because you followed jason's band Wretch Like Me. Is that your recollection of that? That is almost completely correct. Yes, it was me that did the major push for Bill and Stefan. Yeah. But it wasn't because of Wretch Like Me. I did totally like that band, but it was just more about Bill and Stefan. And I knew what our band needed and wanted. Yeah. Based on like band discussions. Um, at the time, Russ was like, obviously was way in the hardcore and, you know, we sat in my house in Santa Cruz and everybody brought in records yeah. from producers that they liked. We're like, okay, we're going to move away from Ryan. We need this. We keep doing records that don't sound like our band. Yeah. And I'm like, well then, hello, fucking Black Flag and Descendants are like yeah, 90% of the influences of this fucking band, dude. Why don't we just go to the source? Yeah. Which, ironically, if you listen to Comprehensive and Ballads, they're drum heavy. I mean, yeah, it's all about me, honestly. Like, it's me and Russ, and then the guitars are definitely behind that. Yeah. So, as a drummer, I'm like, drum records, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew, that's not what the band needs. Like, we, we want to sound like good riddance. Yeah. Well, let's go dude so we sat in my room and I, I really pushed we put all these records on but every time anybody had a record I went okay cool now put ballads on yeah and then we put ballads on and everybody would go no and I'm like so you want to go backwards and everyone's like yeah no and then I put Mass Nerder was the last thing that they had done. Oh, I man. I put Mass Nerder on, and I'm like... I love that record. Or 
Or, yeah. I'm sorry, how much, again, do we rip off Black Flag and the Descendants in our songs? Yeah. So let's just go to the source. It really was, like, we sat there and, dude, maybe, like, 15 different albums of different bands that we all liked. Because we had the option. We can go anywhere. Yeah. You know, you want to go to Don Fury? Like, Don Fury had come up. We, like, a lot of East Coast producers had come up. Yeah. And I just kept going, all right, cool. Well, here's ballads. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. I mean, it's one thing to bring in, like, okay, you're going to work with this dude. You come to the studio and you're like, hey, here's a couple records we've been listening to that are big influences. You know, give them an idea of where you're at. But to sit there as a band and be like, I don't know, guys, what about this? And you're like, well, this is our last record, so we need to make a, a big change, you know? Yeah. Because even Bill, Bill had called me after we were like, hey, we want you guys to do our record. Yeah. And he didn't, they didn't know who we were. So they got the last two records. They got comprehensive and ballads. And Bill literally called me up and he was like, all right, dude, what do you want from us? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he was like, sonically speaking. Yeah. These are two of the literally best sounding records Stefan and I have ever heard. Yeah. Today, right now sonically there's no way we can make your record sound that good yeah like we're we're just being honest with you because they were still and in I the early them, years like, it's not what we were looking for i'm like that's actually part of the problem we need it to sound really good but we need it to sound like our band which is a punk band yeah phil was like well we can do that <laughs> <laughs> like oh you want to make a hardcore record i get it that record was just obviously a magic pairing. I mean, you've been working with them ever since. You know, I've had both Bill and Jason on the show before, and I wonder what that was like, too. I've heard Jason say, some bands come in and they're like, wait, why do you keep stopping the tape? You know, you're recording me like 10 seconds at a time, you know, also being very, very anal about the performances. Once you got there, how different did that feel? Wow. Um, my <laughs> my time with them now is so different from ballads. <laughs> so we were the first fat band they'd ever recorded. Really? They'd mixed Let's Talk About Feelings. Uh-huh. That's it. They'd never recorded anyone in our little world. So it's a couple things. I mean... Like, I was hoping to go in and blow Bill away. And upon that session, I didn't necessarily. Yeah. They were super blown away with Luke. But Bill and Stefan were tag team. I was literally, like, tracking 14 hours a day. Man. Nonstop. And they were beating the crap out of me. Like, I'm working on a song for an hour while they built the click and we worked on all my drum parts and then I started tracking it. And at that level of energy and speed, like we were talking about before, like that's a long day. I mean, they're workhorses, eh? Yeah. And it's just how they are. But they also, again, hadn't recorded anybody else in, in the fat world or in the epitaph world like that. Yeah. So they just kind of assumed that like, cause I was younger you know, I'm like 23, 24 at the time, something like that, 24, maybe or something, I don't know. And they just assumed I was average, and everybody was like me. So you guys are the first impression. 
Yeah, and they just sort of wrote it off. They were like, okay, ripping. Everybody's stoked. Then they start recording all these other bands. And then you fast forward to, like, My Republic. Bill was calling me for, like, almost a month prior, just freaking out, so excited. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, did I miss something? <laughs> and it went from, yeah, whatever, to, yeah, he's one of our, like... You're my favorite. <laughs> one of our favorites, actually. Yeah. I was like, whoa, ripping. This is super rad. So my Republic, Bill and I, Bill and I went a little crazy. I mean, that's a fantastic sounding album. I mean, that that's one of their yeah. best. For, for a studio that puts out a lot and a lot of very high quality, I mean, that is a great sounding record. Yeah, we had so much fun. It was a constant back and forth. Yeah. It's like... Oh wait! I got an idea, and they'll do this. Oh, oh fuck! Okay, and bang it sound. I'm like, oh, what about? And then, like, an hour later, him going, we should probably pick one. Yeah, let's do a we take. Just wasted like an hour. <laughs> okay, what was the first one? Yeah. <laughs> and then the last two records, it was more of him just. Letting me go. I mean, that's that's great. I, when I had him on and I brought up Good Riddance, he was like, oh, my God, those guys are my family. Like, I love those yeah, guys oh, so yeah. much. I've always just been a, a huge fan, again, both of your guys' style and, you know, the energy there and Chuck's gnarly distorted bass, you know, and, and just those hard-hitting drums and as well as the blasting room just simultaneously being a huge influence in the sound that I go after as a producer, you know, and um, yeah. when you guys uh, tag team every time, it's just, it's a, it's a magic chemistry, man. It's, they do great work across the board, but there's always something special when, when you guys get down together. Yeah. We, we became family real fast. And obviously, you know, Bill got rest to do only crime and yeah. It's total family. I love those dudes. <laughs> well, let me uh, backtrack a little bit and shift gears. So you left for a little while right around the Phenomenon of Craving EP, kind of before Symptoms. Yeah. You mentioned Kidney Thieves. Did you leave just to work on other projects at that time? Yeah, I was trying to really kind of move up. I wanted to be a better drummer, not just a punk drummer. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I still do. I wanted to be more like radio rock, bigger, big. I want to go big. Yeah. You know? And why wouldn't I? I play drums for a living. Like, what idiot decides to do that? <laughs> so if you're going to choose the world's, like, most difficult career to have, you might as well try to go big. So I moved down to L.A. and started auditioning for bands. Yeah. Um, I felt like I was the... The runner-up, which I was, I was like the almost guy for Puddle of Mud, Cedar, Bad Religion. Oh, like when uh, Brooks joined and Bobby left, you were in the running for that? Yeah. Oh, man. It was totally me. It was totally me. Oh, man. But not when you're going against Brooks. <laughs> so it, all of a sudden, it's not you anymore. Uh. I was in the car with Greg and Brett. Came out to lunch, confidence raging. Yeah, 
I'm like, dude, Brett, I'd been up to Brett's house, gave me all the CD, we talked. He was like, everybody knows you're going to be our drummer. Yeah. And I'm like, freaking out, like, no way. In my mind, I'm like, the only way I lose this gig is Josh or Brooks. Yeah. I'm not losing it to Josh. There's no way. And I heard Brooks doesn't want this gig. Thank God, because he could be with anybody. Yeah. But if this guy goes, I'm out. Like, that sucks. Man. My best day isn't even as good as Brooks's worst day. <laughs> that dude is so gnarly. And I'm in the car, just like drums are set up. Dude, I'm going to be in bad religion at the end of the day. Yeah. Epitaph calls. Shit's on speakerphone. Hey, Brett. So Brooks just called and he's decided he does want to audition. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And there goes my gig. Man. I literally like watched my gig float out the window and float down to wherever Brooks lives, and I'm like, "Fuck, really?" They hang up, and I just went, it "Wasn't Brooks Wackerman, was it?" Brett's like, "Yeah, do you know who he is?" And I'm like, "Unfortunately, I do. He's your <laughs> new drummer." <laughs> oh fuck, man! And they were like, "What do you mean?" I go, "Well, let me ask you this." If Josh Free said he wanted to be your drummer right now, would you take him? And they were like, well, duh. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, and, and Brooks had just done, I think, that one Vandals record in place mm-hmm. of Josh Freeze. Yeah. I remember listening to it going like, man, he stepped up his game on this one. And then look at the credits. I'm like, oh, wait, who is this Brooks guy? I guess he played on this one. <laughs> I've been watching Brooks play with the Vandals, but ever... I, I've only seen Josh in the Vandals a couple times. I've seen Brooks in the Vandals tons of times. Yeah. Right? I used to film Brooks. He was like 16, 17. I used to put the, it was like watching a skateboard video and I'm slow mowing, like <laughs> trying to figure out like what this cool ass shit that he's firing away. And I'm like, yeah, rewind frame by frame. Like, okay, dude, Come on, man. <laughs> so <laughs> when so good. I mean, years later when Brooks moved on, did you have that in the back of your mind? Like, I mean, I could yeah. do it now. I talked to them. I was supposed to get a call, but I don't know why I didn't. I mean, they had auditioned Janie and I think they're just stoked. And that guy is totally phenomenal anyways. Yeah. I also was doing good riddance again. So maybe that had something to do with it. Like, Oh, uh, conflict. I mean, one, Cherry picked some dude from another band. But yeah. at the same time, Jamie could have already auditioned, and they were like, that's the guy. Yeah. Just, that dude's really good. It's like, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was kind of a shock to the system after seeing him with Brooks so many times with two new members at that point. But when they dropped that next record, it was really good. Yeah. He's such a great drummer. Tons of energy. Can't go wrong. So when L.A., uh, I guess, doesn't work out, what leads you back from iRepublic? I mean, were you aware of, like, symptoms and blood and affection yeah. when, when those records are coming out? Like, oh, Of course. Luke and I are still friends. Luke and I were doing another band. Okay. I ended up getting in Kidney Thieves, touring with them, and then maybe it was, like, 2004, Gone by Ties just came out. Yeah. And Dave Wagon Shoots didn't really tour anymore. And Luke asked me if I wanted to go to Australia. 
well, yeah, <laughs> of course. And then they asked me if I wanted to rejoin. I was like, yeah, for sure. And then I want to say, okay, so I rejoined. And then like a year later, Ryan Green called me to do the McKenzie's record. And oh, okay. I ended up joining the McKenzie's. So there was a brief moment where I was doing both, which is super convenient. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Russ mentioned that they did their most touring ever after Symptoms and then the least after Bound by Ties. Yeah, well, I would say we did our the most touring we ever did, really, was the first, from Forgotten Country on. I mean, we were eight yeah. months a year. Damn. It didn't slow down until after Symptoms. So then, of course, you guys go on... Uh, I call it hiatus now in retrospect, but at the time you guys split after My Republic. When you guys came back, I think, just as a fan, that Peace in Our Time is top three, if not best thing you guys ever did. I mean, everyone sounded so energized and, yeah, I guess that's the best word. It just had so much fucking energy. Yeah. You know, the, the production especially sounded really elevated. It was a very drum-heavy record, but it just sounds fucking huge. I mean, everything about it, like the first single coming out, just like the real aggressive guitars, still catchy. It's Every song is fast, you know, uh, till the very end anyway. But I mean, it just, how good did it feel to get everyone, you know, back at it after so many years? Uh, it was awesome. I had been touring a lot with Authority Zero. Really? So I quit McKenzie's in 2012 and then joined Authority Zero. Yeah. And then we got an offer to play Gros Rock. Yeah. That was like, well, okay. Because <laughs> we, it, it was really funny. Like, I had been in touch with Luke and Chuck, and we had been talking about the three of us starting something new. Yeah, it sounded like Russ took some convincing to do that. He did it first, but then quickly, like, once we started, I mean, when we do our group messages, he almost responds yes faster than me. Really? So, that's <laughs> uh, super awesome. It's funny, because I didn't, you know, I didn't stop. And our booking agent in Spain, he had been hounding me for years. For years. And in the Mackenzie's, at one point, I had Carl from Descendants on base. And Oh, Wow. Carl and I would laugh because we're like, you know, you and I'd be doing so much better if our old bands would just play again. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, dude, I know, right? We're like, what the hell? The Descendants weren't playing. Yeah. Good Riddance isn't playing. And then our agent in Spain and promoter in Spain, who's, you know, he does all of us, he's hounding me and kept telling me, like, what if I offered the band this much money and i was like <laughs> keep going i'm like that's great for me i'm like but there's no way dude yeah and carl same deal just like and we're both shaking our heads going to this sucks but if every time i see you you manage to up this number and eventually you're gonna up it to a number where i'm gonna have to call these dudes and be like are you guys serious yeah <laughs> and that kind of happened and but it was ironically right at a time when, like I said, that me, Luke, and Chuck had been talking about starting something, and I think Russ was definitely getting to a place too where he was ready to like, yeah, come miss touring with my buds. Yeah, I mean the hunger is so apparent on that album. Yeah, 
sometimes you got to go away, gain a little perspective. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's the best thing that my band ever did was break up because <laughs> we came back, uh, I think, four years later and kind of like, you know, listening with the in-ears. It's like, wow, when you listen to our old shit, why were we doing some of these things? You know, let's do yeah. it. Let's do it right <laughs> this time, you know? And yeah. uh, having kind of the benefit of, of those years of perspective to look back and be like, you know, we could do this a lot better now. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, following it with the brilliantly titled Thoughts and Prayers record. That tour was one of the last shows that I saw before lockdown, actually, uh, when you guys played up in uh, Portland. And it it, kind of cemented the return. Like, okay, we didn't just do a reunion album. Like, no, we're doing this again. Yeah. And I really like that record. There's a lot on it that I'm super, super stoked on. A couple of the songs I loved pieces. And we put that together pretty fast, actually. Really? And especially when I know I'm going in, like, you know, I just, in May, I did two different records with Cameron Webb. One of them is with Versus the World, which is Santa Barbara Band, and Big Chris from Lagwagons in that band. I'd really like but to like, hear your drums with his mixing style. That could be really interesting. Yeah, it's coming out really good, but... I have a lot of pressure on myself and I'm like, I have to be super on point when I'm going in, like yeah. especially with any producer. I've worked with those three a bunch, but it's like Bill or Ryan Green who are drummers. Yeah. Like, Can't fool them. Uh, yeah. So I finished a full day early for thoughts and prayers. Really? Yeah. A full day early. Okay, Cause I was super prepared. Russ, when he sends out his demos, structurally and vocally they're good yeah like oh this is easy now i'm just writing yeah like to a pre-made structure and melody easy okay yeah so that's super helpful but chuck always make keeps us on point with making sure it's got the fire yeah i mean always you you too really bring the energy even in the most melodic songs and I wonder, because like the past year on and off, I've been writing, you know, the sixth record for my band. You find yourself falling into, oh, well, yeah, this should go there. Let's not do that, though. You know, like, how do you keep it from repeating yourself after this many years and this many records? Well, (laughs) (laughs) playing other music and styles of music helps. Yeah. In a big way. So I played drums at a dueling piano bar. Oh, really? Everything from hip-hop to country to Britney Spears to, you know, 70s, 80s, current music. Yeah. And it's great. And you start learning, you know, and then playing in rock bands and I'm playing all these other things. And so that is a big influence. And plus, I, I don't listen to punk music anymore. Really? I'm not even kidding you. Like, if you sit in my car and I have Sirius, yeah. most likely Yacht Rock Radio will be on. <laughs> and if it's not Yacht Rock, then it would be like First Wave, Classic Vinyl, the Bob Marley Station or the Jazz Station or the Soul Station. Is it sort of like you don't want to be sounding like other people or you're just like, I've done this my whole life? I'm. I- over it or yeah, what? I mean, you're still doing it with such heart. 
for sure. It's not that I don't love it, but it's like, I don't know. It takes a lot to kind of stoke me out when I hear that. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll put municipal waste on any day of the week. Yeah. I love municipal waste. That excites me. Yeah. Like I want to hear shit that excites me, you know, and I get more excited over listening to Steely Dan and just epic playing. And I'm like, yeah, wait, what happened there? Whoa. Because I want to be Josh Freeze. Yeah. You know, I want to be good enough to play in Sting. Well, I got to listen to more than punk rock. Yeah. I need to be able to play some Toto. and That I love because in our years where the band was broken up, I would assemble one at a time bands. Like, hey, you, you, and you, you want to work on a Nirvana cover record? Sure. And we'll do a whole set of that. Like, all right, cool. Hey, you guys, let's do a Foo Fighters one. All right, cool. You know, And each time I'd do that, I'd find myself picking up the guitar, and I got to do a different chord formation, or I got to do a different progression that I wouldn't have thought of before. And so that really did inform when I would write records afterward would be like, oh, I'm not just necessarily going to the the go-to lick yeah. necessarily on my instrument. So you're, yeah, you're right. That is a very good way to keep it fresh is to just kind of diversify what you're practicing to, you know? Yeah. You know how other people do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I Want You Back, Jackson 5. Like, it's a song that I play at the piano bar all the time. And- yeah you kind of think you know it until you try to play it, like especially on drums, and you're like, I don't actually know how to play this song. Like, holy shit. That rhythm section was so rad, and da-da-da-da. Like, you don't hit that on the drums. Yeah. He does a da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so ripping. Like, my brain wants to hit that and because that's what we always would do that's the rock version but yeah the funk version has so much more space you know the you know when you're grooving like that uh there's so much more because i I also have a a extensive hip-hop background and yeah it's a totally different way of looking at composition yeah so taking those things and like finding places for them in punk and in rock. Yeah. That keeps it fresh. And no matter who decides to do something like that, whether it's a guitar player, bass player, even the singer singing more of a soul melody, but like Chad Price, you know, he yeah. comes in. He's one of my favorite singers of all time. Yeah. It is so lame when I play with him because I can't have him in my monitor because if I do, I totally fuck up. You're just listening to him distracted? Because I listen to him, and he comes in late. (laughs) I'm already on the one, and he's coming in on, like, two and a half. And I'm like, but catching up and doing these things, and I'm like, oh, damn it, I can't listen to you. Yeah, I want to listen to you, but I can't listen to you. Because if I listen to you, we're definitely train wrecking. Yeah. Like, this is bad news. But it's really cool, and then when you listen back, you're like, okay, I can change some of my patterns now. Well, I like that, too, because you do it without reinventing the band. You know, you guys didn't do your, like, Blink-182 self-titled record where everything's experimental now. It's like, yeah, it's still a good riddance record, but it does still feel new and original, you know? 
progressing as a player has a lot to do with it. Chuck is playing better than ever. Yeah. Honestly, like his other band seized up. Andy from the Distillers plays drums for them. Oh, nice. And he's got Distiller shows seized up as playing punk rock bowling. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Nice. But there's like wacky stops. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like old school, like Rollins Black Flag type of stuff. It's yeah. Like, oh my Lord. But it's so good. And, I totally realized, wow, I can see how much this has helped Chuck as a bass player when he comes back to, like, good riddance. It's just like, wow, dude, you're a totally different bass player these days. Like, and in such a great way. Yeah. You know, like, he, like I said, he's playing better than ever. I love playing with Chucky. I forgot how funny that dude was until the last time oh, I, yeah. I saw you guys when he's just fucking with the audience the whole time. Like... Yeah. I always remember them, you know, the three of them just being right up front in the crowd the whole time, you know, rocking out. But like he'd be doing shit like if a dude was watching Russ, he would reach down and tap a dude on his shoulder and then keep playing and, and watch the yeah. guy turn around and look at who it was. And he did it like six times in one song. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I just got a kick out of out of uh, watching him again. I love Chucky. So uh, I guess last thing I'm aware of that you dropped was uh, with Ryan again, the 10-foot pole record. Um, I guess it yeah. sounds like I, I thought that was going to be kind of a, a, a reunion of sorts, but it sounds like you've been working with Ryan on and off this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that year I did the Bisto Blanco record with Ryan, which is how I got in that band. And then... Right after that, I did the Temple Pole record with Ryan. And then right after that, I did a Downcast record with Ryan. And later that year, I flew up to Canada and did the last Real Mackenzie's record. Wow. Busy man. Um, what else you got on the horizon here? Anything that you can talk about? Yeah, I did um, in May, I did drums for a Canadian band called 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I tracked their record and then the next week I tracked the versus the world record <laughs> that was in May when I've taken like too many weeks off, like five or six, I wouldn't rehearse today. And I'm like, Oh dude, it's painful. <laughs> uh, I've been playing with pulley. So I've got some shows wow. of pulley coming up and we are working on a new record also, I believe. Nice. That's great, man. I really yeah. didn't recognize uh, from the outside that you, you know, are kind of just the, the jack of all trades down there. You know, you're playing with everybody who needs it. That's that's a pretty oh, yeah. great way to make a living, you know. Yeah, have to. My kid is now almost 19, so... If it's okay to ask, how's he doing? I know last year you had posted he had some health problems. Um, yeah, no, he's all good, cancer-free for over a year. That's amazing. You know, you got to stay on point every so often. A little scare can freak you out. You yeah. It might not even be a scare, but it's like we're, we're pretty hyper-conscious about everything. But yeah. Our kid works like six days a week. He, he's a busser at a steakhouse and he works at the pet store. Uh, he's got a small salt tank going, two big old fish tanks. You know, he's killing it. Yeah. Starts college in the fall. So. Fantastic. 
Well, uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and kicking off our new season. Thanks, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that is our show. Huge thank you to Sean for coming on. That was a great talk. I really appreciate everybody tuning in for the new season. If you've got suggestions, people you want to hear, hit me up on social media at Sammy Warmhands. And if I'm a fan, I will try to reach out to them. If you like the show, please spread the word in your stories. Let people know that we are back in action. We've got plenty of content up the sleeve. I'm going to leave you with one of Sean's personal favorites from the recent album, Thoughts and Prayers. This is Good Riddance. Wish you well. Like a song